0: Good evening, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Perceptive Podcast here on Game Wisdom, where we some the art and science of games. My name, of course, is Josh Blaser, and we have another discussion lined up discussing about a very specific game tonight. We're going to be talking about Cook, Serve, Delicious. This was an indie game that came out over the last decade and quickly blew up and is now on its third iteration. And my guest tonight is the writer who came on starting with Cook Serve Delicious 2. And we'll be discussing kind of the process and what it was like to write for a game that I don't think a lot of people really thought would have a story. So please welcome to the cast tonight, Ryan Mateka. Hey, glad to be here. It is great to have you on, Ryan. How are you doing tonight?
1: I'm good, but, you know, you're you're called Game Wisdom, and I'm not sure how much wisdom I really can give you, but I'll do my best.
0: <laughs> That's all right. We, uh, As anyone who listens to me knows, we can have a discussion about just about any aspect when it comes to video games or the process. So I'm sure we'll come up with something over however long this cast will be. All right, hopefully. But it's a pleasure to have you on. For long-time listeners, I did have David, who is the creator of Cooks are Delicious. I think we had him on, this was like two, three years ago. It was like right around the time of Cooks Serve Delicious 2. And hopefully we'll have him back on in the future. I know he is very busy with the game coming out onto early access. For those of you listening to this right now, it will be out on January 28th, so it should already be available for you to check out. But I'm sure it's busy times all around there at Vertigo. Oh, yeah. And it's actually going to be the 29th. Oh, 29th. I'm sorry. No problem. It is great to have you on. So to begin with, since this is your first time on, Ryan, could you tell everyone a little bit about your background? And what was your role? What is your role with Cooks Are Delicious?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, So my background is um, I'm very appropriately titled a writer. Um, That's pretty much all I've done for the past, as long as I can remember. Um, I wanted to be a writer since I was like 13 years old, went to college for it, graduated with a degree in it, and uh, somehow managed to make a career out of it. Um, So I actually, like, I I kind of have known David more or less uh, since the beginning. Um, I was a fan of his games when he was making little, like, free games, and, Mm -hmm. you know, he must have been in high school or something like that, back in, I want to say, like, 2005, Um, And he was just one of those guys in his community creating a bunch of free games that um, I really liked his stuff and kind of got to be a part of his community on his forums and um, made some friends there. And many years later, I, you know, kind of got in contact with him and now I'm working with him. So it's pretty cool. And I've been working with him now since, uh, like you said, Cooks Are Delicious too. although I did do technically a little bit of writing for the first game as well.
0: Great, and with Cookstar are delicious. I, that was my first time that I kind of ran into David and Virgo Games, and like you said, he's been making smaller titles. I think it was like what, like five to ten years previously. Mm-hmm, yeah, and so it's only come a long way. And as listeners will know, you can, you never know like what game of somebody is going to particularly blow up. So I guess, what attracted you to uh, Cook, Serve, Delicious, and uh, did you approach David, or did he approach you for doing writing on the games?
1: Yeah, so um, like I said, I kind of go back farther than Cook, Serve, Delicious. I mean, mm-hmm. he was making uh, these games that were kind of like, uh, he was copying some demo he played for a PlayStation game called Orno Ryori, mm-hmm. and he just called it Orno Ryori, which I'm not sure means anything, but it's different, so that works, and um I was just attracted to, like, his creativity in his games, and he kind of had, like, he had, like, a polish to them that, you know, a lot of other people maybe didn't have and a depth to them. Um, he had this one game that I really loved called Sandbox of God, where you had, you were kind of playing God and Earth was your mm-hmm. sandbox, and you had, like, humans versus bunnies for some reason. It was very, very creative, and so that always drew me to his games.
0: Mm-hmm. And I think that was pretty much the same thing that I- uh, got me into cook serve delicious that there really wasn't anything else like that on the market arguably there still isn't and I guess for you Ryan uh what other like games or genres do you typically like to play
1: um I play a pretty wide range but lately I've been focusing in um, like strategy games mm-hmm. um, so I definitely like that element of the cook serve delicious series where you can kind of plan out your menu and and that sort of thing so there's there's like it's weird because there's kind of elements of a lot of different games in cooks or delicious or a lot of different genres.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like with the design it's certainly evolved. I think considerably since the first game. And I know, uh, as we were just saying before we started the call that you don't have too much of an input on the design side of things, but I'm sure as someone who's played the games, you've probably have been able to track that evolution.
1: Oh yeah. It's been remarkable. Um, The first game felt like such a step up from his, like Mm -hmm. I said, little free games he was making. I hadn't, I hadn't actually played, um, the couple of commercial games he made before that because it was just a time in my life where I was very busy and I didn't Mm -hmm. play a lot of games. Um, but even that first game was a step up and then watching each subsequent release has been just kind of mind blowing for me because, like you said, you know, I, I knew him when he was, you know, doing these very, very basic things and to see the level of, the level of polish and Mm -hmm. like, professional quality and everything in the latest releases is just really remarkable.
0: Yeah. And I sort of get that with like the work that I do with YouTube. And I'm also a writer. I wrote two books on game design. So I have like people telling me, Oh, I remember when you were just doing a little tiny blog and now you're doing these Mm -hmm. talks and such. (laughs)
1: yeah it's pretty crazy how far people can go
0: mm-hmm now, with your own background in writing, have you done uh writing for like any other video games or pursuing it in other genres or games?
1: Not really actually um so professionally, I was kind of just taking whatever jobs I could get mm-hmm. um, I was a in-house copywriter for a little while which um, when you're not at an agency it turns out is not very glamorous at all mm-hmm. um, yeah. and um but then i um like in my side uh, in my in my personal life i would just be writing like short stories and novels and things like that but hadn't really thought about the gaming the gaming industry that much um but then i just kind of i forget exactly how it happened but i just i just remembered that david was you know doing these more professional things now and you know remembered how much fun it was to be in his community and that sort of thing and i reached out to him and actually said like, hey, guess what? I'm a professional writer now, I and you know, I have some qualifications. If there's anything I can do to help you, like, I want to help. And I wasn't even thinking in terms of, like, a job. Mm-hmm. Um, I was literally thinking of, like, oh, maybe, you know, he wants me to – he needs someone to just look over and proofread some things to make sure that he has no spelling errors or something like that. But um, surprisingly, he, he responded to me, and he said, not only, you know, do I remember you and all that kind of thing, but he said um, he was actually looking for a writer – at that moment um, mm-hmm. which was really, you know, amazing to me you know, that level of coincidence
0: <laughs> Yeah, I, I hear that too, like with some of the stuff like I've gotten people helping me and advising me with my work and the YouTube channel, all that it, sometimes it, it just seems like you know, like a miracle or like you know, like serendipity that somebody mm-hmm. will be a fan or somebody who knows you who can provide with exactly what you're looking for
1: Right. It, it's, you know, right time and right place. And what's even funnier is um, he kind of, he he would leave these little breadcrumbs for me where he would tell me, oh, yeah, you know, I've got another writer. Um, they're working on some stuff too. And I the whole time, like, he wouldn't tell me anything about the writer. And I didn't ask because I didn't want to pry. Um, and so I did a lot of work for him, just knowing that I was, like, maybe kind of competing for his affection with <laughs> this other writer. Um, and then uh, I think it was when he announced the game, he had the website up and everything and it said it had the credits on the bottom of the website. And I scrolled to the bottom of the website and I saw the other writer was actually my best friend from his <laughs> community. Um, way back when in you know two thousand five. So we actually I, I turns out that I now I knew the writer, but I'm like a good friend of his. So <laughs> I don't know exactly what his story is, but I imagine it's just as so serendipitous where it was just, you know, right time and right place.
0: Hmm. And again, like for people listening to us right now, when we talk about kind of like the indie community and the people that are there, like it really is like a community. Like you never know, like who you're, t- like the person you're talking to. what well, they'll eventually go on to do, or if you'll ever, you know, where you'll meet them again.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I've I've gotten the opportunity to meet a lot of different people in the community of you know indie gaming and. Um, when I've gone to PAX a couple of times. And mm-hmm. it's, yeah, it's absolutely amazing. The communities are so special, and they're so welcoming and loving, and everybody just kind of wants to prop each other up.
0: hmm Now, uh, when it comes to kind of like writing, especially in the independent space, we've certainly seen games, tr- I think, try to approach more in terms of developing their stories and storytelling out. And this is a topic that... I think maybe a little too big. I think for our conversation here, but as somebody who plays games, and again, as somebody who's a writer, I guess from your own point of view, like, how has I guess like the growth of storytelling really like been seen from the games that you've played?
1: It's been really, I hate to use this word again, but really remarkable. Um, the level of detail in the world is almost like it's 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 obviously growing, you know, exponentially, but. The, the story I feel like has been just right along with it, and even even games that are like light on story, you can kind of see the the care and love that goes into the world building and that sort of thing. And it's just you know, there's all so, sorts of different ways of of telling a story, and you know, from like the point and click adventure type things of Telltale games and you know Uncharted type games where it's like a movie to even you know RPGs and stuff where, like I said, it's all in the background, like. Mm-hmm. it's just crazy to see the evolution that's that's come over the years you know since when i played what sonic the hedgehog <laughs> on my genesis back in the day
0: Mm-hmm. and yeah as you said the amount of care and i think kind of like the quality of games not just in the AAA space but of course in the indie has certainly grown uh, rapidly over the past 10 years it's a discussion i've had with a lot of friends and colleagues of mine that the bar has really i think been risen from for some of these games. I mean, I I'm sure you must have heard of Disco Elysium that came out last mm-hmm. year and like that game just like it literally came out of nowhere and I think it just shocked everybody in terms of that kind of story.
1: Mhm, yeah, absolutely. It's um, you know, there's there's just so much going on and so much love and care going into these games and I feel like, you know, the bar keeps getting set a little bit higher and and people just keep on smashing right through it and it's just amazing to watch.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. And I like your example from earlier with Song of the Hedgehog. I always go with Mario with, you know, the height of storytelling being your princess is in another castle, Mm -hmm. you know, go to the next level. And again, like, it's one of those things that for, like, younger people or for students, like, listening that, you know – Games have certainly transformed over the past twenty years in terms of the stories and storytelling that they're trying to, to tell, and like you say, like even with like smaller indie games, like titles, again, like something like with Cook, Serve Delicious and the slew of other games, like on first look, it doesn't appear like there's you know any care for the story, but we are seeing, like, more developers kind of embrace that there's more to these games than just the gameplay loop itself. Like, you have to give the player, I guess, like, a greater reason to care these days than you had to do, you know, 30, 40 years ago.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's just, you know, part of the want to put as much as you can into something as as possible. Like, there's, like you said, it gives people more of a reason to play, even if, you know, even if you can be fine you know, cooking food day after day after day in the game, um, it gives you that little extra push to want to say, okay, well, why am I cooking? Why are these people looking so sad? You know, like, in, in this game, um, you're heading towards a competition, so you want to know what's the competition going to be like, and furthermore, our, our big push with um, the other writer and I, uh, his name is Nicholas, we wanted to um, give the player a reason to care about the characters in the game while you're playing, And so our big push there was uh, to have them develop their relationship through the game. And so hopefully when players are, you know, working their way through all these uh, different days of cooking, they're also wondering, you know, what are these characters going to do next and what kind of adventures are they going to have?
0: And I definitely have some questions for you regarding the story of (laughs) Cooks Served Delicious 3 because we played a little bit on stream. It's got like the, uh, I guess, a small bite, no pun (laughs) intended, of what was going on there. But before we get to cook, serve, delicious, through, I kind of want to start with your original role on the second one, and mm-hmm. as a semi-quick tangent, I gotta ask: uh, Who is responsible for writing like all like the descriptions for like all the food in the game?
1: That would be Nick and I. We kind of split that in half <laughs> and just tackled it, and um, that was quite a task. I wasn't prepared for <laughs> prepared for it first, but uh, it was quite a lot of fun. You end up. Um, you end up getting a lot of random food knowledge that you did not have before when you do that sort of thing.
0: Yeah, I gotta ask: Is like the trivia for like those food sections is that like true? Like, like some of the stuff that you put in there. Some of
1: it is unbelievably. Um, so our method has always been to research the food as much as possible before we start writing anything, and that usually gives us the inspiration we need to write something fictional. Um, so usually. It turns out a lot of foods actually have very interesting histories, and so we'll try to use that as like the first sentence or two, and then we'll use that as a jumping-off point to go into something even crazier.
0: <laughs> Great. But with that said, let's start with Cooks Are Delicious too, because as you said, this is when you kind of formally came on as a writer for the game, along with your friend. So with that game, like we said, with the Cooks Are Delicious series in general, from the outside, it's easy to assume there's not really a story. It's just, you know, you spend a few minutes clicking and uh, typing uh, crazily to get food done. So, when you came on for your role for Cooks Are Delicious 2, like, what was kind of, like, your task? Or what did uh, David kind of, like, want you to do in terms of fleshing out the game?
1: Well, so, originally he just told me to write a bunch of emails, Which um, if you played the first game, um, that was also kind of how I contributed um, through like, volunteer um, writing where he had after at the end of each day, you would have an email server where you would get just random emails from like inside the fictitious mm-hmm. building that you're in. And um, it was always just the most random stuff um, from people who were talking to each other. And for some reason you were getting their mail or just like bold announcements, to the entire office or the building. Um, and so originally he contacted me to to take care of just writing more of those, and he didn't actually have a uh, like a deadline or a um, like what type of emails I should write or what the um, like comedy I should do. Uh, so it was very very open, um, and I just had to kind of learn from his feedback as I you know give him a couple uh, different drafts what he wanted, um, and from there I think uh, let's see that was. That was definitely that. That took a long time. I was working on that on and off for quite a while. But then, um, then eventually, he had me move on to food descriptions and restaurant descriptions. And um, we had some like uh, more specific emails later that came in. uh, I think post launch even. So.
0: Mm -hmm. And uh, with the story of like cook served delicious, and then going to the second one. Like as you said like in the first game it was just kind of locked to the emails were the entire thing. And then as we got into the second one there was more this idea of fleshing out this world with the various restaurants, chains and kind of like being inside that giant building. What was kind of the I guess like the goal of expanding the story of it?
1: Well, okay, so I forget exactly how it played out, but I know David kind of came to us, you know, with each of these assignments and he would give us a little bit more of the background of the world. Um, I forget exactly at one point he told us it was post-apocalyptic, but that was a surprise because we had already been writing so much that um, all of a sudden we were like, Oh, okay. We can like go so much further with this than we already were. Um, But initially um, the, uh, it was just a lot of, you know, it was just done for humor to be something that the player could, um, it would take the stress off of the player after, like, a really st- potentially stressful day in the mm-hmm. kitchen, so to speak. Um, so that was, orig- that was, like, the purpose from, like, a technical um, design perspective. Um, and I don't think he really had anything else in mind. It wasn't like he expected to make a third game or to um, for the story to really go anywhere. Like, I think the post-apocalyptic setting was just supposed to be, like, extra flavor to this mm-hmm. game and something that would be funny to discover if you actually go through and read everything. But it's obviously not what's like, shown in the gameplay at all. So it's one of those mm-hmm. things you could totally overlook if you're not looking for it. Yeah,
0: and oh yeah, well like, we've seen that for a lot of like some of these titles that sometimes the story is you know completely front and center. Titles like Gone Home, Dear Esther, the kind of quote unquote Walking Sims genre. And then we've seen a lot of developers go in another direction, kind of having the story on the edge of things. It's there, but it's only really going to matter or be a focus if the player wants to explore that. And probably one of the most standout examples of that design would be the whole Dark Souls, Soulsborne kind of genre. Mm-hmm. So, with uh, Cook Served Delicious, so as you said, like it, it didn't seem like like when you were like talking to Dave, like there was going to be like this, you know, grand amount of lore for what is obviously a cooking game. And with kind of going from I guess here's one. Going from Cook Serve Delicious One to Two, I guess, did he give your did he have any specific storytelling goals he wanted to achieve, like going from the first game to the second?
1: In the first game to the second? I don't think so. Um, like I said, I think it was just supposed to add flavor and be mm-hmm. just have kind of uh, this wacky side
0: thing. Mm-hmm. All right. So, obviously, with that said, going from Are Delicious 2 to 3, the story definitely feels a lot more in place. And... Uh, definitely have a lot of questions about where this story came from, and I guess for people listening, again, with this cast probably going up after the game goes in early early access, there's not going to be too many spoilers here, but, like, the first thing that I see in the opening scene is that it's, like, 20 years in the future, you know, there's parts of the country on fire, and we apparently survived another war, so I gotta ask, like, where did this story come from for the game?
1: yeah, so that was all just uh, there in the second game then and, and we we had written out different details. We'd written out, for example, um certain states are gone entirely or they've succeeded to different to like to Canada, or they've been lost due to flooding or nuclear war. And we just wrote these all into Cooks Are Delicious 2, thinking it was just kind of a fun joke. And I don't think we were even tracking what had happened to all the states at the time. It took us a while to realize, oh, hey, maybe we should start like making a list of what's happened so that we're not stepping on each other's toes. And um, when David told us he was working on the third game, and obviously he wanted us to write for it again. Um, it was just one of those things where we were like, OK, um, I guess we better consult that list because we have to like figure out where to go from here.
0: Yeah, like, I was, like, I played, a, I played more Cooks of Delicious 1, and then I did the second one. But yeah, like, I'm like, wait a minute, you know, there's been war, in, you know, parts of the country have like, succeeded? What the heck happened here?
1: Mm-hmm, yeah, and it's, like I said, it's not something we anticipated working on. And But the thing is, like, all of us really embraced it. Um, so I know David, just uh, from the gameplay perspective, he was the one who came up with the idea that you have um, robot partners. hmm uh, one being the driver and one being the guardian. Um, and he's the one who came up with the idea of the um, the food truck battles that occur from time to time. So it, it's one of those things where it was kind of an accidental decision that we just kind of had to roll with, but at the same time, it, it benefited greatly because all those different changes to the gameplay ended up enhancing it in some way. And in the same way, I think it helps the story because, um, not to get ahead of your questions here or anything here, but the... The story, like, we wanted to keep the kind of upbeat, optimistic feel that the first two games had while setting it in this kind of dreary landscape, which I think kind of enhances those two emotions where it's like, hey, you know, the world has kind of gone crazy, but it's still, like, a good experience to make and serve food to people and make them happy with food.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. And I got I think like the big thing is like what will happen like if there's a Are delicious four like will the story get any darker as we move forward here?
1: <laughs> oh boy, I don't I don't think we're're we're, we're, we're scared <laughs> to even talk about a fourth one. I don't think that's a plan on the horizon. Um, <laughs> but if it was, I have no idea where we would go from here. Maybe it would be like uh, you know. Some other mode of transportation or something. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, and like I was like joking to friends about this. I were, like, I still remember. I think when I spoke with Dave, this was I think right around. Like I said, this, this was either before or right after the launch of Cook Serve Delicious Two. I remember saying, you know, I don't think I'm ever gonna make another game. To I, I think this will be it. Like, I don't see myself making a Cook Serve Delicious Three at any point. And here <laughs> we are now. <laughs> yeah and he actually
1: he he was very candid about that to us too when he first told us about the idea um i believe he said though that it was just one of those things where it made sense um just from like a technical perspective of he had all these assets to work with you know the Mm -hmm. graphics the code the writing and you know he knew after you know quick delicious 2 had an initial rough launch um Mm -hmm. he got like a swell of feedback um which eventually became positive but it was there are a lot of people suggesting things, a lot of people complaining about things. And I think it was one of those um, opportunities where he saw, you know, I have a lot of assets to, to use that I can use. And I have a lot of ideas for what can come next because of all this feedback. And it just kind of, you know, came from that.
0: Mm-hmm. And again, like for developers listening, you never really know, A, what uh, game of yours is going to blow up, and B, a, where things are going to go after And yeah, I remember that as well, that when Cooks for Delicious 2 first came out, it did have kind of a rocky start. I remember there were complaints about, I think, either like missing features or detail in the game. And then I think, uh, and please correct me if I'm wrong on this one, like, wasn't like a few months or maybe a year later, I think he released like a mini expansion. I think it was a barista update.
1: Uh, yeah, that was, um, I forget exactly when that came out, but yeah, it was sometime later, maybe a year, six months to a year, somewhere in there, that he released the Barista update, which, um, up until that point, he was, like you said, kind of making, um, fixes and just completing mm-hmm. the game, because, um, he just had it, he just had such a tight deadline for himself, and he'd already, um, pushed the game out once, uh, postponed it once, and yeah, he had to cut features at first, um, mm-hmm. I know for me, that was, uh, tough to hear, because one of the, na- that was deemed non-essential was the emails, mm. which, of course, I had worked so hard on. But um, it was one of those things where he had to make choices. And like you're yeah. saying, when you're, when you're a developer, sometimes you have to make those tough choices and tough calls. And ultimately, I think he, he made the right call because he bounced back really, really
0: well. Mm-hmm. And again, like, I'm hoping we can get him back on probably after the launch. And yeah, it was certainly a fascinating story. And, like, for my audience listening, like, a lot of people from the outside don't understand, I think, about what goes into like the design process. And like for somebody like you, like you can't, like you were a fan who then kind of joined the team after the fact. So you, and so you have that perspective of being both from the outside as well as from the inside at kind of like the development of this game and David's process.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I definitely. It, it's very weird because I do identify with both sides, mm-hmm. where I'm. I, I'm genuinely surprised, uh, even, you know, to this day, some of the, uh, some of the new, um, as he's releasing more versions of the game for beta testing, there's things in there that I did not know were coming, so I get to be genuinely excited Mm -hmm. about new features and, and levels and things like that. Um, but at the same time, yeah, I have that kind of inside knowledge of, um, why he's making some of these decisions. And yeah, there's definitely a lot of people that just, um, it's hard to know, you know, what the reason is for anything, of course, but, especially with something as complicated as, as making a game, there's so many factors
0: that go oh, into yes. it. Definitely, and that's one of the things I've been trying to demystify through game wisdom and talking to developers, that I've kind of developed this little niche for myself as being that middle ground between the developer and the consumer side. So while I do see things as a consumer, well for obvious reasons, speaking to so many developers has given me that knowledge about that it is very hard to make a video game and sometimes a choice has to be cut not you know due to maliciousness or laziness or whatever but because it's you need to do that to get the game out. Mhm, absolutely. So, with uh, I guess uh, going back to the story of CSD going from like 1 to 3. One thing that I want to ask you about again like with like how insane or how crazy the story has developed. Was there ever, like, any worry about going, I guess, quote-unquote, too dark for the game? Because, again, like, on one side of things, you have, you know, the happy, cheery title music that gets stuck in my head every time we hear it. You know, all this lovely food uh, graphics and detail. And then on the flip side, you know, the Cooks Are Delicious 3 not only begins with you learning about the war, but that your building gets blown up and everything that you've done has been turned into a pile of rubble.
1: Yeah, there have definitely been some talks, um, some of our ideas, either in the script or just, you know, jokes that come across as too dark. Um, there have been, definitely been times where we had to kind of, you know, reel it back a little bit um, for the sake of not being too dark. But I think one thing that's helped us is we kind of, uh, during the development of Cooks are Delicious 2, I forget who came up with this idea, but um, someone decided we needed to just sum up the like tone of the game as succinctly as possible, and so we came up with the phrase, um, upbeat sadness. Um, <laughs> nice. which sounds like such a contradiction, but ultimately that's been like kind of our guiding light through the games, um, for the, from the writing at least, where whenever we're wondering, you know, if, if we're going too dark or not dark enough, it's always like, okay, well, it, does this make me feel like upbeat, but also kind of sad if I think about it for too long?
0: Mm-hmm. Like, like you said this earlier with, all like your customers are always having this like sad despondent look on their faces, you know, we're serving them, you know, amazing food and all that.
1: Mm -hmm, Yeah. And that (laughs) was, that was something that I think originally came out of um, just a practical um, decision on David's end for the development where um, it just would have taken a lot more resources to create customers with varying facial expressions um, you don't want to show them happy all the time you don't want to show them upset all the time so it you went for like a more neutral look and but then you know people read that look how they want to and so you think okay well why is this person not smiling it must be because they're upset well why are they upset oh yeah it's the post apocalypse
0: mhm <laughs> and it just went from there
1: right everything just kind of snowballs from a very innocent decision even um like i would do in cook server delicious too we would do different email series where we would have kind of a back and forth between, you know, one or two characters um, that created a whole story. And inevitably they all got like dark by the end. Um, There was one that people really liked from the first game that got brought into the second game. It was um, some banter between two coworkers and I was assigned to write that for the second game. And somehow I ended up with one of them dying. And um, it was through like an increasingly, um, just absurd level of pranking one another, um, and of course oh, I had to man. like tone down the <laughs> fact that one of them died because it's supposed to be a kid friendly game. Um, so yeah, it, it's just kind of funny how things just kind of snowball and became what they did.
0: <laughs> I do like how you use the term kid friendly, and then a minute ago, upbeat sadness in the like the journal same way to describe cooks are delicious.
1: <laughs> it's a very fine tightrope to walk, but I think we're doing it pretty well. <laughs> My hope is, I suppose, that like um, a child could play the game and think it's just you know a lot of fun, and then they get older and they play it again, and they're like, "Oh wow, that was in there."
0: <laughs> yeah, and, uh, as a mini tangent, I think that's something that we're seeing a lot with uh, shows aimed at kids these days. We're seeing a lot of cartoons tackle very mature topics, but still like kind of like hiding it or you know making it there for older audiences.
1: Yeah, absolutely, because. It's just part of that, you know, what what are kids not being exposed to? What are they being exposed to? And, you know, just also at the same time, the people working on these shows and games and everything, they're real people, you know, they have their mm-hmm. own own interests and they want to just, you know, sneak in their own interests or whatever. And, you know, for me, that happens to be dark jokes, apparently.
0: Hmm. So I think with that, I'm trying to think if there's anything else I want to ask regarding like storytelling and such. Um, I guess uh, one thing, with the, as you mentioned earlier, there are now actually two characters in the game, your robot assistants. What was kind of like the, I guess, decision-making or the the design process of writing, like, their lines? Yeah,
1: so um, they came about, um, like I said, that was David's idea to have the food truck battles and thus two robots. He wanted um, one robot to be the driver and one to be the guardian, which is essentially kind of the combat robot. Um, and uh, I think he had, he'd set some rules in place that, um, that we don't really explicitly say in the game, but stuff like, um, in this world, robots can only hurt other robots. Um, so, you know, humans are never actually in trouble at any time um, and those kinds of things. And so I know he said he wanted um, the driver originally, I think it might have actually been where originally the driver was only... Get, gonna be the only one with any lines um and this is like very early talks and uh, you know we might not have even been talking about voice acting at that point um but he wanted that that character to be kind of upbeat and optimistic which you know again is going into our upbeat sadness theme um and just to kind of make sure that the player has you know an anchor in this game to push them forward and give them you know kind of cheery advice and and that sort of thing and um i forget exactly how it came about that the the guardian we decided it needed to also have speaking lines probably just practically so we could you know have the driver talking to someone and um we didn't know exactly what direction to go with that at first but then we decided that the guardian should be not an exact opposite because you don't want to go you know too dark again mm-hmm. um but just someone that's a little bit more down to earth maybe a little bit more stern but still kind of loving right we, we don't want you to be overwhelmed we don't want someone to like cursing at you because you did a bad job, you know, and a very difficult game. Um, so once we kind of had those characters established and, you know, figured out how they, you know, compare and contrast, um, then it was uh, relatively easy, I think, for Nick and I to write their dialogue just because luckily, you know, we each have a background in, you know, fiction writing. He's done some um, independent movies and television. Um, and obviously I've done just short stories and things like that on the side.
0: Mm-hmm. And one of the things I saw David talk about on Twitter, I know this has been mentioned, is that there is greater elements of accessibility with Cooks Serve Delicious Three, not just again with like the story you're trying to tell, but with the general gameplay. And as you said, as anyone who has played the games know, this is not an easy game to play. Like this is not the game you want to play and try to have a conversation with somebody at the same time. Too.
1: No. Yeah. And I've seen many a, a Twitch streamer struggle with that very concept.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had the same thing when I tried to play the game on my stream a few nights ago, too. And, like, with kind of, like, I guess, did you have, any, like, any role or any insight into uh, adding in more accessibility features with Cooks Serve, Delicious 3?
1: Um, no, I did not.
0: Okay. Right. I think with that, I am just about out of questions, uh, just focusing on the writing of the game. Were there any, like, aspects or topics that we didn't bring up that you would like to talk about?
1: Um, I guess I could talk a little bit about the story itself. I think I already touched on some of it, mm-hmm. but um, just kind of how we decided um what the story is. And this shouldn't be spoilers because I'm pretty sure it's right there on the Steam page. But, um... So the game has you, and you might have already brought this up, from the get-go, your restaurant from the last game has been destroyed, mm-hmm. and you are now in a food truck headed to the nation's capital of Nashville. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, we wanted, of course, to figure out a way to get the character to, you know, find a way to, for the character to be motivated, or the player to be motivated to get to the end. So they're going for a uh, competition. Uh, this is related to the Iron Cook uh, competitions that were in the very first game. Um, but I don't think we're present in the second. Mm -hmm. And so just from that, uh, storytelling perspective, you know, there was a lot of kind of fun back and forth I had with the other writer and with David in determining, you know, what are these factors that are going to push the player forward and keep them interested. And, um, it's just one of those things where, um, I've actually never written a, a story or a script or anything like that that was for a like actual audience before, um, so all of my fiction writing has been, like, for me alone, and, you know, like, maybe someday I'll do something with it, but, you know, <laughs> don't worry about that now, and so um it was really interesting because, uh so Nick brought his own take into it with his background in, um, like, movies and television where he he's very technical minded, and he can look at a script and say, is this scene accomplishing what we want to accomplish, mm-hmm. and are the characters working towards their individual goals? And that was another thing we had to come up with, was individual goals for these robots, which was... <laughs> you can imagine uh, quite the long discussions because you don't want to uh, take the the player away too much from their goal of getting to the end and and prepping the food and that sort of thing. But you also want to make sure they're invested in the characters. And that's a whole you know other long story. But so you know, I got to work with with uh, someone who's very technical minded that way, and me, I'm I'm like a blunt object when it comes to creativity. I'm just throwing ideas out, and I like to try to solve problems. So if if all of a sudden they say, okay, well why is this character doing this or why does this character feeling that way? And I'm the one that just like starts spurting out ideas of, oh, maybe it's this, maybe it's this, maybe it's that. Um So one of the, the things that's been very interesting with this is just that kind of collaborative process of writing with a partner and, you know, trying to find a balance of our different skill sets. And that's something that I'm not sure that a lot of other um, games have, at least in the indie space of um, having that sort of like, not that they're not doing nothing that, that not that they're not working as a team but um, having the two dedicated writers that are you know like working off each other to that extent um, I know a lot of indie games are very personal and and I totally understand that right where mm-hmm. someone's got an idea and it's it's inspired by their own life and their own um, yep. troubles um, and those are typically come out to be very very beautiful games but um, this was just a very different experience because we got to kind of play off of
0: each other. Mm-hmm. yep and We've seen a lot of developers, as you said, bring their own personalities and their own background in these games. And it has led to, I think, one of the main reasons for it, like the independence and growing so much over the past decade. Because you can't really do those kinds of games in the triple A space.
1: Right, exactly. Yeah, because they triple A games are obviously trying to appeal to a very wide audience and in the indie space. Luckily you can kind of say, you know, I'm going to make this for the people who need this, you know, for the people who understand this and can connect with this.
0: Hmm. I remember when I spoke with David, I think again, like in our last cast, I think he said that one of his previous jobs was being a barista and that kind of, it led itself to making one to make like this kind of cooking or like restaurant kind of game.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And um, I, I would food industry experience. I know I worked at a, uh, a grocery store and then a Panera bread and then some place. The campus that was basically a subway ripoff
0: hmm.
1: um and it's one. it's it's funny because then you play cooks are delicious and you're like oh yeah i remember these jobs and how much i hated them but i love this <laughs>
0: <laughs> great so i think with that um i think i'm about out of questions then i guess as we said by the time people are listening to this cast cooks are delicious 3 will be out or at least be out on early access in terms of, I guess, the actual content, like, do you know, like, in that version, like, how much of, like, the story or gameplay will be done for people wanting to check it out?
1: Um, I don't know how much, um, like, from, like, in a percent or anything.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, there are several uh, territories, which are what we're calling our areas in the game, um, all rare. multiple uh, stops, multiple levels in each one. Um, I think. Uh, uh, I don't want to get in trouble if I get this wrong, but I think there's going to be you know upwards of fifty levels to begin with in the um, in the early access version, and plenty more to come.
0: All right, great. Uh, would you have any idea of how long it's going to be on early access for? Like just like a general estimate for people listening.
1: Targeting summer for uh, the like version one
0: all right. Sounds great. And I guess the last question then, or actually two last questions. Uh, for people interested in CookServe Delicious 3, uh, what platforms like will it be available on Like for people wanting to pick it up?
1: Uh, currently it is, for, um, but it will be coming out for all the, um, or I should say it will be PC and Linux. Cool. It will be coming out later uh, when it out. up.
0: Uh, I am uh, sorry, Ryan. You were kind of cutting in out there as you were saying that.
1: Oh, sorry, I was just saying it's uh, coming out to the computer right now, but Mm -hmm. it will be coming out for all the console when that, um, around the time that that first version 1.0 drops.
0: Okay, sounds great. I think with that, we will end things for this week's cast. It was a pleasure hanging out with you today, Ryan, and definitely best of luck to you and the rest of the team, of course, David, for Cooks Are Delicious 3. Yeah, thank you for having me, Josh. Alright, so with that said, we're going to end it for this week's cast. I, For myself, if you'd like to follow me, you can find me on Twitter at GWBicer. We have the Game Wisdom Discord channel, as well as, of course, YouTube.com. Uh, we have the Game Wisdom channel there, where you'll find daily videos on design, game spotlights, and, of course, our live interviews. Uh, for you, Ryan, and for Cooks are Delicious, are there any social media you would like to plug right now?
1: Yeah. The lead developer on Twitter at Chubbigans, C-H-U-B-I-G-A-N-S. Follow for all the kind of important updates. If people really want to follow me, I'm just at Ryan Mateka with no spaces or anything like that.
0: All right. I'll make sure to include those links in the description down below for those of you watching this, or I should say listening but other than that if you like support game wisdom you can check us out on patreon.com/wubiser your donations can help to keep things going i also have my books and of course, any kind of donations would be amazing to help things going along. And if you are a developer working on a game or have some role in the game industry and like to come on and talk about it, uh, we are always looking for new guests for our live and recorded talks. So feel free to send me an email, shoot me a message on Twitter, however you would like to get in touch. With that said, thanks for tuning to this episode of the Perceptive Podcast. Tune in next time for another discussion about the art and design of video games. And until then, take care.